All right, welcome to the Heart of Flesh podcast. Uh, this is Jackson Hankey. I'm here again with James Kayser, um, friend of mine, and I think you've been doing this long enough, Kays. I'm going to call you co-host. Let's go. Yep. You, I think you've earned that title. So, hard to believe, but we are on our final episode of the Doctrines of Grace. This has kind of been a series we've been going through. Um, we've gone through, well, we went through kind of an extended introduction, and now we've gone on to discuss each of the five points um, I hope and we pray that this series has been helpful for you. Uh, hopefully it has opened up some deeper questions and hopefully been helpful to answer them and to explain some biblical teaching. Uh, at the end of the day, we hope that um, you guys would not just listen to what us and what we have to say, but that you would open your Bibles and study and, and think about these things deeply I hope that as you do that, that you would be challenged with and confronted by deep and powerful truths of God's word. Um, And we pray that in that, that you would be comforted by who God is um, and also brought to worship him because of that. So that's kind of been part of the hope and goal of this series. I know that these are controversial topics, uh, but we do believe that the word of God has power um, and should be taught and preached faithfully yep. and that the results of that should be entrusted to God himself. So with that, we are on our final episode. Um, just like the last ones, what, what we kind of have done is that we first wanted to explain uh, and give an overview of the doctrine itself. And then in, in kind of the part two episode, we want to look at, you know, maybe some common objections um, or some of the passages in Scripture that are often pointed to to try to disprove uh, this doctrine. So with that, um, I'm going to start. I'm going to re-give the definition uh, that we gave last time. This is coming from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, but I'm going to read it one more time. He says this, The perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives, and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. <clears throat> so there's a lot in that in that definition. Um, you know, we mentioned this last episode. I think sometimes a better way to think about it is the preservation of the saints mm-hmm. because the emphasis is on God's power to keep uh, and to uphold his saints. Mm-hmm. All the way until the end, all the way until they reach glorification. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I want to highlight, and this really ties into what we're going to be talking about today, but just in that definition, I want to uh, highlight one thing too. That definition is very careful to define the, the true meaning of a saint, or, or rather of a Christian in general. So again, he says that this means that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. So it's really important um, to define the terms that we speak in just in general. So in this case, when I say a saint, just broadly meaning Mm -hmm. a Christian, you know, sometimes that word is a bit confused, but it does just mean broadly a Christian, anyone who's a Christian. When I say a Christian and when we're talking about this doctrine, we are referring to not simply anyone who claims the name of Christ, not simply anyone who has an association with Christ or with his church in some way, uh, but we're actually referring to biblically a true and genuine Christian, 
Um, and with that, uh, the implication that this person has been born again mm. uh, and has the Spirit of God indwelling them. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's the important distinction that I think we've made throughout is that the defining factor between a non-Christian and a Christian is the Holy Spirit and that new birth. I even just looked up the percentage of Christians in America. Would you like to take a guess? Out? <laughs> it 2021, so a few years removed, but what yeah. do you think? Oh, brother. Um, I don't know. P- so people that would claim to be Christians yep, that's what it is. in America today, I would be optimistic and I'd still say somewhere around 50 to 60%. Yeah, close. It's 63. 63%. Nice. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyway, so what my point in saying that is like, according to that definition, it's just anyone who claims to be a Christian. And now we look out at our world and our country and say, from our perspective, it doesn't look like 63% of the country is Christians. Um, so mere profession is not what defines someone who is a true and genuine Christian. Yeah. You know, for example, um, and just th- this passage, just in general, the first time I read this passage, I actually remember I texted you, Kays, but this was brought immediate conviction on me. Um, really was a, a powerful part of just, just in my life, kind of a, almost a key turning point. But you know, I was reading in Matthew 7 in the New Testament. Um, I just was reading through the Bible for the first time, got to Matthew 7. Mm-hmm. And in verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So very clearly there, you have a category of people who make a profession of faith in Jesus, who claim Jesus as Lord, but who will not actually enter the kingdom of heaven who actually will not be finally saved mm-hmm. uh they, they, they are it will they, they will be exposed to not actually be followers of jesus not actually christians and when i read that for the first time you know uh, it was pretty clear that for most of my life i was in that category yeah me too of someone claiming <coughs> to be a christian you know someone having some sort of association with christ and with his church but someone who did not do the will of the father and at the end of that passage jesus says um he says to those people, he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that when we have this discussion, we are talking biblically and defining our terms of what it actually means to be a Christian. So, you know, if you think about John chapter three, Jesus says, you must be, you know, if anyone is to even see or to enter the kingdom of God, uh, they must be born again by the spirit. Another example, Romans eight, nine Paul says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. So we need to understand this. Um, when we are discussing this, we are talking about Christians who have, have actually been born again, um, who are actually indwelt by the spirit. Um, and it is those who God will preserve until the end. Um, and one of the ways that we know who that is, is also by the fact that they are preserved <coughs> until, until the end. Yeah, and we, we say all these things, uh, not to just be cynical, but if you have this category in mind, um, it helps explain these passages. And even as we look out in our experience in the world and, and see people who seem to be genuine Christians leave the faith and, and turn to all other kinds of things, we have a category for that. Um, and if you, you don't, then you come to, I mean, it's really confusing um, when you come to these passages, uh, one that we're going to look at today. Yeah. So I, I think it's just important to have this category yeah. in your mind also. Um, 
and, and here's the reality, and I think this is going to show up in our, in the passage we're looking at. Uh, it, it is possible for, you know, like we mentioned, someone to have deep association with Christ, uh, someone to be part of a church, someone to be among God's people, mm-hmm. someone who even can blend in in that atmosphere. Yeah. So someone who outwardly gives the appearance of being a Christian. But actually, that person is not is not born again, is not regenerated by the Spirit, isn't an actual Christian, if that makes sense. So when we, you know, you could think of, we mentioned this last time, but um, in Jesus' parable of the sowers, you know, there are the different types of, of soil where the seed lands. And one of them he mentions is that there is, uh, it lands in one spot and it sprouts up with joy. It, it initially receives the word with joy. Uh, it gives the appearance of uh, faith in Christ. But what it's what Jesus says is that eventually, um, when tribulation or, or trials come along, when the cares of the world come along, is how he words it, uh, it is choked out and it never bears any fruit. So even just even just in that category itself, like like it is, it is possible to give the outward appearances, um, to initially receive the word with joy, to have an association with Christ, without actually being born again. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense? Yeah, for sure. Go uh, ahead, James. We're gonna say something. Yeah, we should get into the scripture. But as we say this, um, we should take heed, and we're gonna get to this uh, as we go later in the podcast of asking the question, well, what category do we fit into? Are we merely attending the church and blending into Christian community? Or have I been born again by the Spirit? Um, And Scripture calls us to examine our hearts in that. We'll look more at it later. Um, But just be thinking about that as we're going through this. Yeah, that's an important point. We are even called to, like Paul says, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Yeah, and the reality is, is that I remember when I first like learned about this and was kind of taken aback, but even in good, solid Bible believing churches, there are non-believers. And even the new Testament talks about like wolves dressed in sheep's clothing who have come into the fold to devour the flock. And so, yeah, that's a sobering reality that I remember when I first like read that in the scriptures, being like, wow, not everyone who's here is like, well, I mean, this is even, you know, you talk about the ideas of false teachers. Yeah. Like, it's not even just people in the congregation, but there's real possibilities that there are there are many pastors out there who are yeah. not actually born again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and even you see, like, you know, just in the, in the day and age we live in, we have so much access to so many things and so many different teachers. Yeah. But you can look at, at a lot of teachers in the American church and, and, and some prominent ones even at that. You can look at the fruit of their lives. You can look at the the content of their teaching, mm-hmm. and you can see like this is not biblical. There's a very real chance that this person may not actually be a Christian, yeah, and actually be born again. So this is not even just for uh, people in the congregation, but in many times this this can even involve pastors who who have this clear association with Christ. But you know the New Testament is clear that there will be false teachers among you. Um, so yeah, that that's something important to think about as well. Well. Like you said, Kays, we probably should jump into the passage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We have a tendency to get a little bit long-winded. But let's do that. So one of the passages uh, that is often pointed to is in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, so we're going to turn there and go through it. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to 
I am just going to start reading here right away. So it's in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, this is, one again, one of those main passages. And at the face of it, um, on a cursory reading, uh, it does you know, se- seem to indicate the loss of a salvation. But I think if we have that category in our minds, it's going to be really helpful. Okay, so I'm going to read verse 4. Uh, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. I'm going to keep reading. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, there we go. If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. So a lot of people will point to this passage um, and they will say here, this is clearly teaching that uh, someone can lose their salvation and finally fall away. I think that's a problematic interpretation uh, in a number of ways. First of all, um, just the language that the author uses in this. Um, I do think that it's clear that the author is trying to to make certain that, that like again, that category we mentioned, it is possible to have a close association with Christ. Mm-hmm. It is possible to be a part of the church. It is possible even to sometimes have some sort of outward evidence of Christian faith, but actually to fall away. And um, I, th- I think... If you look at the language that the author used, it's pretty telling. Um, he says, he's describing people that have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then they have fallen away. So <coughs> there are places in the scriptures where the authors speak of a definitive, certain salvation Mm -hmm. this is not one of them it it doesn't use you know it's some of the typical salvation terms we find like justification um it doesn't use uh you know it's typical terms like sanctification uh, or like that but it uses i think some of these intentionally a little bit ambiguous terms uh to describe someone who is part of this community of faith, someone who gives the appearance of being a Christian but never actually was saved in the first place. So, yeah, like, in this example, the author is describing um, association with the church, Mm -hmm. uh, the people to whom he's speaking to and writing to, who have some degree of knowledge of the gospel and of the things of God. When he says that they have once been enlightened... So they have some degree of knowledge of the gospel, some degree of knowledge about the things of God. Now, it is very possible for me to know true things about God. It is very possible for me to study theology and to not actually be born again. Now, you think about this. If you read, uh, if you read the gospel accounts, the, the characters in the gospel who have the most accurate knowledge of who Jesus is are the demons that he casts out. Mm. They know exactly who he is. They know they know for certain that he will come to judge them. 
Um, they know accurate things about Jesus. If you think of James 2, James says, even the demons believe and they shudder. Uh, so theological knowledge does not necessitate any sort of salvation and should not be confused with that. The fact that I know true things about God, the fact that I come to some sort of rational understanding of the gospel doesn't mean that I've actually been born again, uh, that I've actually taken that into my heart, that it has actually affected deeply the way that I live, or, or that the Spirit has actually regenerated my heart. Um, yeah, so, so having been once, once been enlightened, uh, who have tasted the heavenly gift as well, uh, and shared in the Holy Spirit. Now that's probably the one that yeah that's a t- that that's, that's probably the one that that makes it difficult. It yeah. looks almost like salvation language, like it to say that they've shared in the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, just given our definition of what a Christian is, we said this is a person who has been born again by the Spirit. The Spirit's the disti- the, the distinguishing factor. So the question is: Is this saying that these people have actually had the Holy Spirit? That they've actually been regenerated by that spirit and then have fallen away from it and i don't think that that is by any means uh necessitated in this text um to say that someone is a sharer or this word could also be translated a partaker of the holy spirit Mm. um doesn't i think in this context doesn't necessarily mean that a person has the spirit or has been regenerated but it certainly means that someone has been exposed to the ministry of the Spirit in the church, been exposed to the ministry of the Spirit in the preaching of the church, and been exposed to the ministry of the Spirit in the lives of other saints. Mm-hmm. So it is possible to for, for me or just someone in a, in a solid church uh, to be exposed to the ministry of the Spirit, to see the effects of the Spirit, uh, and in that sense to be a partaker or a sharer in the Spirit, but not actually born again. <coughs> Yeah, I'll let you continue to exegete the text, but one, one just practical biblical example we've talked about before, uh, but it's helpful to to weigh it against this scripture, is just thinking about the 12 disciples. Um, we would say that the disciples, including Judas, uh, have been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. They were with Christ. Uh, in a sense, they shared in the Holy Spirit um, when they were with Christ in his earthly ministry and had tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Yet we know with Judas that he was not saved. And he was associated, and it seemed as though he was partaking in it, yet he was unregenerate. Yeah, well, you, even, you, know, you can even think about this. Uh, during the ministry, they sent out the apostles to do mighty works. Uh-huh. Uh, so Judas, e- even being involved in, in mighty works of the Spirit, uh, like... It, it, if anyone is a partaker of the spirit, like certainly the, the, the apostles during Jesus ministry, they saw the fruit of the spirit. They saw the effect of the spirit, but for Judas, he was never actually changed. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus says, I have, I have chosen you. And yet one of you is a devil. Judas was never actually changed by what he knew. He was associated with Christ. Uh, he was a witness of the power of the spirit in many ways, more ways than we'll probably even see in our lives. Uh, but yet he fell away um, and was never actually changed by the Spirit. So yeah, as we continue in this passage, um, I think that's what it means to say that they have shared in the Holy Spirit. Uh, They have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. Um, They listen to the Word of God. 
it's true. Uh, they, they rationally have some understanding of it. Uh, they, they may even affirm um, some sort of doctrine of Scripture. They may even affirm things like this is the Word of God, yeah. uh, the, the common teaching of the church. And they may even experience its goodness to some extent. You know, I could even, I could look at the Bible completely as an unbeliever and I could study the Bible and, and people have done this. You could think about Thomas Jefferson. He was not a Trinitarian. So he, he was a Unitarian, mm-hmm. very smart guy, but he, he wrote an entire book about the moral teaching of Jesus and Thomas Jefferson. He was a bit of a philosopher as well. So he, he studied moral teaching of many philosophers but he literally made his own, essentially made his own Bible out of the moral teaching of Jesus. And he said it was the most sublime uh, teaching, moral teaching that had ever existed in the universe. And yet he didn't believe that Jesus was God. Yeah. He, he didn't believe that he was the Messiah. He believed he was n- nothing but a man walking on earth. So that's just to say, like, I can affirm the goodness uh, of the word of God. And I can even look at it and I can say, I should live my life this way. Mm-hmm. This seems true to me and it seems good. And yet that doesn't necessarily mean that you're born again by the spirit. And I think even just <coughs> the word tasted, mm-hmm. uh, it's just the idea of like a temporal uh, or temporary yeah, like sampling of, of God's word. Hey, my, you know, I might try this out. Uh, this looks pretty true to me. Um, I can believe some of this. Let me taste it. Let me taste <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, kind of that idea. Uh, taste the powers of the age to come. Very similar idea. Um, but then have fallen away. It, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. I think the idea there uh, in saying that it is impossible to restore them to repentance, uh, this person in view, they've been part of the community. They've had the word of God preached to them. They've seen the power of the Spirit. They, they have just been almost falsely, but living in Christian lives themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, if they fall away, it is evidencing that none of that was compelling. It, 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 it didn't do it. They have seen, they've tasted, uh, they have tried it out. Wasn't for them. Didn't like it fell away ultimately. So in that case, it is, it is more difficult to bring a person like that to repentance than a person who never made that profession in the first place. It is, it is more difficult uh, for the person who has, has done that and fallen away from it than to bring them back to repentance. Yeah. Like their hearts are being so hardened. Yep. Like their hearts are. Yeah. I would say it's similar to like the unpardonable sin, right? Would you say like when Jesus is talking, right? Yeah. I think it's a similar idea. Yeah. Like they have so rejected the Messiah and Jesus in the flesh that they, their hearts are so hardened. It's evidence that they're so hard. And so it's the same thing here in, in verse six. It, it's almost as though they cannot be restored to repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they've been part of this. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like a been there, tried that type yeah. of thing. Like I've been in this, uh, learned it all. It, it didn't work, fell away from it mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, it's going to be harder to bring that person to repentance than, you know, the person who's never been part of it yep. and is being introduced for the first time. 
So I think that... Okay, um, now that we painted this bleak picture... Well, well <laughs> a little bit more. I, I just think there's a little bit more to this passage, too. Okay. Um, also, the analogy that is used that follows is, is for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cu- cultivated receives a blessing. But if it bears thorns and thistles... Uh, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So again, here's another exa- example, very common in the scripture, an agricultural example. Um, there are two types of land. There is there is rain falling on land that produces fruit, which is blessed by God. There is rain falling on land that produces thorns and thistles. It is cursed. Its its end is to be burned. So you could think about the rain like just just what it said. Like th- these people have tasted the word of God. They've been part of the church. God's God's common grace through these things has been pouring on on uh, on these people. Now the land that bears fruit evidences that it has been changed by the Spirit, that it belongs to God by the lives that it lives. You know, the the fruit is a common analogy for the 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 life the type of lifestyle that you live. In the other case, the 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 uh, land that is cursed, its end is to be burned. That land produces no fruit. That's the idea. Now, in the scriptures, very commonly, fruitlessness is not a, it's not a sign of falling away from faith. It's a sign of never having faith. Mm. You know, you think of Jesus as, beware of false prophets, you will know them by their fruit. It's kind of the same idea. If a person lacks fruit, it's not evidence that they uh, were once saved and have fallen away. It's evidence that they're not actually saved in the first place. Kind of the idea. Now, the clincher to this whole (coughs) thing um, I think this becomes very clear. Uh, the next verse, verse 9, it says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we for feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Things that belong to salvation. So at the very end of this argument, the author is saying, um, he, he warns against those who are fruitless, those who fall away after being part of the community, after receiving these things. He says to his audience, yet in your case, we feel sure of better things, things that are per- pertaining to salvation. Things that are pertaining to salvation. So I think from that, it's clear to, d- to deduce backwards that when he says, you know, these people have been enlightened, they've shared in the Holy Spirit, those are the things that he's saying, uh, he's saying were not pertaining to salvation. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like it, he, he's almost affirming that this wasn't, a case of salvation. This was a case of false faith that became exposed. Yeah. But in your case, we feel sure of better things, things pertaining to salvation. Yeah. Now that's one example. Um, I hope that that makes some sense. There are there are more passages in scripture uh, that speak like this, but I think if you have that category in your mind, it's going to be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, now that I think so, that that raises a lot of questions. Yeah, maybe it raises <laughs> some concerns. Uh, maybe hopefully it causes you to look in the mirror and to ask yourself: um, Am I truly a Christian? Uh, have I actually been regenerate? Now, James, uh, you prepared some some questions or, or helpful ways to kind of yep. analyze this. Uh, do you want to go through those quick? Yeah, for sure. And, and I want to put this um, before we even get into this. Uh, Hank and I aren't on the podcast here saying we are the determiner of who has true and saving faith. Um, but what we are saying is we need to examine ourselves and see if we, if we are born again and are in the faith. Um, 
now for the first i don't even know how long we go in 25 minutes it's been kind of bleak <laughs> a little bit um but there's a certain like reality and, and sobering that should be happening with reading these passages and i think that's a, a big point of these passages throughout the new testament and the old testament is to be warned yeah even even i'm even thinking too like one of the another common just argument against this is if you tell people that once they're saved they're always saved yeah that's a good point one of the things is okay well that means i just got to get saved and then i can live yeah, however do whatever I, want. I want yeah and that's that's just that that's not even that's not even thinkable. Like, yeah. like the Bible does gives us one, it gives us, uh, the command to test ourselves to see if we actually are. And then two, it also gives us, you know, you cannot separate, um, your faith in Christ with the way that you live your life. You, you can't, you can't separate the fact, uh, like you can't ultimately separate faith and works. There, there, there are things that come, there are things that comes together. Yeah. Now, the Bible is very clear that we are saved by our faith in Christ, not by our works. But it is also clear that if we have a true and saving faith in Christ, then it is going to lead us to certain works that are pleasing to God. God isn't just, isn't just forgiving us our sin and forgetting to call us out of it, if that makes sense. Like his grace to us extends beyond just forgiveness of sins and also to you know like the, in this podcast to giving us a new heart yeah transformation a, a heart of flesh yeah so though this doctrine should be very comforting we need to read all of scripture and realize that one if i don't persevere in the faith it's evidence that i actually wasn't a christian in yeah. the first place and two the life that i live matters sin that i commit matters mm-hmm. um yeah, it, I I can't separate God's forgiveness of my sins and and uh, my my need to actually work out the salvation that God has given me to actually bear fruit in my life. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I don't know where I read this or stole this. Definitely not original, um, as most things <laughs> uh, that we say aren't. Um, but if you have an experience with the true and living God, you will be changed. Um, and, and the analogy that I've heard is like, if, if I'm on a road and I get hit by a Mack truck and I come to you and I say, yeah, I got hit by a Mack truck today. And you're like, you haven't changed. You're, you're still yeah. walking and, and doing yeah. quite fine. I would say you're a liar. Yeah. You would say I'm a liar. And so if we expect to have a experience with the living God and not be changed, that makes you a liar. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's an experience that changes you. Yeah, you can't be in in a in an actual real relationship with, with the, the holy, li- li- yeah. living God and not be creator of the universe. Yeah, yeah, amen. So I have three signs here, uh, and and I like the like the word signs. These these point to and are evidences that you have been born again, that you have changed, uh, that you have been saved. Now these aren't what save you, but they are signs you can look at to examine your heart and examine your life and see if you are in the faith. So the first sign is theological. Um, do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the one portrayed in the Bible? I think Thomas Jefferson was a good example. We can look at his fruit and look at his theology and say, he doesn't even affirm like the Trinity and basic Christian doctrines. And so first we, evidence or sign is, do you believe in the true gospel? Do you believe in the death, life, 
resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ for salvation. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, that's good. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of buzz through these unless you want to really lay them down. No, that's good. Okay. So the second sign is moral then. Um, and that's what Jackson was talking about. Do you bear the fruits of the spirit? We could, Galatians 5 talks about uh, the fruits of the spirit. It would be good to go there and, and read through them. Um, do you turn from sin? Do you see real moral change in your life? Can you look back um, at your life before Christ and then after Christ and see a change uh, in the way that you live? Um, I think a really good, we just studied this in, in RCI, um, but First John is like a great lit, litmus test to, to read through and to examine yourself uh, to see if you are in the faith. Um, yeah, go it, ahead. Gi- it gives that summary statement at the end of First John where he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So again, um, you know, we're, we're really hammering <coughs> on this definition. Yeah. Uh, we're hammering on this. You need to be born again. If you are born again, it's going to bring change to your life. Yeah, produce fruit. But, I, uh, you know, that shouldn't be such a discouragement. Like John does write um, First John. One of the purposes of that book is, as he states it, so that you may know that yeah. you have eternal life. Like we can have confidence and assurance before God uh, that our sins have actually been paid for that his spirit is actually at work in us um, and that we are children of God. The the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God and that we are heirs of salvation. So James, as you said, you know, the book of first John is a great book to go to. It's only five chapters. It's real short. (laughs) There's a bunch of statements in there that are really challenging. Yeah. You know, he says things like anyone who practices sin has not been born of God. Like who is continuing in sin has not been born of God. It's, it's a challenging and yet also a very hopeful book. Yeah. And on that point, like it's not that we are, have become perfected, Mm -hmm. um, but that we are slowly changing into from one degree of glory to the next, into the image of Christ and repenting and turning from sin and, and turning to Christ. And that should be gradual over the Christian life and is an evidence or a sign that you have been born again. Uh, the third one, so the first one was theological, actually believing in the gospel. The second one is a moral change in your life and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And then the third is a, a social change. The third sign is social. Do you love your neighbor? Uh, the two greatest commandments, to love God and love your neighbor. Uh, do you seek and love Christian fellowship? Um, do you love the church and Sunday worship? Uh, all these things are evidences that you are born of the Spirit of God um, because apart from Christ, these are things that you will not love. Um, and I really think that's a big part of this is, do you love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? Um, have your desires and affections changed in such a way to be conformed um, to the scriptures? And now I'm going to put this disclaimer again, even though we've said it many, many times before, these are not things that have saved us, but they are evidences of a true and saving faith. Yeah. To that point, I'm even thinking, uh, it just, I've been thinking, I'm thinking about first John now and first John two, nine, just this social aspect. First John two, nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Mm-hmm. So it's just the same idea. Like if I am, if I am in, uh, like if I, if I have come to know the true and living God and I hate my brother, how can I say that God's truth is in me? Yeah. 
you know what I mean? It, it, it brings necessary transformation to my life. Yeah. Also, I'm just thinking about the two greatest commandments, the summary of the moral law of God is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's theological. You, you know who that God is. You understand it. You believe true things about him. Um, and then secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. So you bear good fruit in your life. Mm-hmm. And it affects, like your relationship with God directly affects your relationship with other people yep. and, and how you treat them. And so we want to examine ourselves and, and test and see if we are in the faith by these signs and markers. Um, but if you have real change in your life, you can be assured that you are saved. And that's the beauty of this doctrine. And we're going to go over a summary of, of kind of what we talked about and, and applications. But when we look at our lives and see real lasting change, we know that we've had an experience with God and he, we have new birth from the Holy Spirit. And we can be assured of our salvation that we will be held fast to the end. And that we will one day see the face of God, not because of my own persevering but because god preserves me yeah definitely. so good yeah it is well um that's pretty much what we've got for this episode uh as far as it relates to the uh to the perseverance of the saints um i think just to close to close out this series we're just going to do some brief recap talk about some some practical applications of these doctrines of grace like i said these are controversial things uh but we were we were pretty convicted that these are good and true things to share, that they're biblical, that they bring glory to God, that they help us to see God in a right light. They help us to see ourselves in a right light and they give us great comfort. They give us great assurance and they give us great reason and cause to glorify God in our lives and to worship him. Yeah. Examining and, and plunging the depths of the grace and mercy found in these doctrines, which these doctrines are just an examination of the scriptures and, and how we are actually saved um, in our soteriology. Plunging the depths of the riches of the mercies and graces of these doctrines should make your relationship with Christ flourish. And we believe that they will bear fruit in your life. And uh, yeah, they're just, they're wonderful. They are, yeah. And they bring glory to God and they change the way that you live um, and change your relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And that's what we're here for, right? Yeah. You know, that's the purpose of of this podcast and why we're sitting in the children's classroom right now with our computers and Bibles (laughs) and talking about this podcast and spending time doing it because we believe this is glorifying to God um, and that it can strengthen your relationship with Him. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, so yeah, just just a quick summary once again. You remember our, our, our acronym TULIP. Uh, we stick to that acronym. We use some different names sometimes that yeah. are a bit more helpful. Um, but just a quick recap of those. Total depravity. Man, let me just put this in really simple terms. Our sin is a way bigger problem than we think. Yeah, it has affected us way more than we think. Uh, our our even our our wills, our desires, our affections, um, are are affected by our sin nature, and. W- the scripture calls us spiritually blind and dead. That, that's how it refers to us. Sin has affected every part of our being. Uh, it affects even our ability to know and seek God. Um, and that is humbling. That that puts us in a, in a proper place. Um, and, and that actually, un- understanding that is, is helpful because the grace of God makes sense to us. Mm. 
the cross of Christ makes sense to us. Uh, understanding that we can't earn our own salvation, that, that all that we have to offer to this equation is our sin, that helps us to make sense of God's grace in our lives, of God's power to save, and of, of his mighty work of salvation and, and his work of regeneration. That is a work of God's spirit mm-hmm. that we need. If we are to be transformed and to be like God, we need that work. Secondly, Amen. Secondly, unconditional election. Um, God ha- had a perfect and good plan for the salvation of a people. That included individual people. So our salvation didn't start with us making a decision or uh, making a commitment or praying a prayer. Our salvation, the beginning of that was God predestining us uh, to be united to Christ by faith and to be brought into his eternal kingdom before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world. God set this salvation in plan um, before the foundations of the world. Our salvation is rooted not in ourselves, but in God's eternal decree. Third, limited atonement or definite atonement. Or uh, a particular redemption. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of names. Uh, <laughs> the work of Christ on the cross was actually sufficient. Yeah. And it was actually effective. Christ did not die potentially to save everybody. Uh, he died effectively um, to save his elect, for those whom God had chosen to save, for those whom he had predestined. And it is not just a general uh, payment for sin. It is a particular and specific payment for particular and specific sins, which were actually put on Christ, which he actually paid for, and which for which the wrath of God has been extingu- extinguished forever. Yep, penal substitutionary atonement. Yep. Need that. Put it in my IV. Yep, that's, <laughs> the, that's the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, Christ died in my place, took the actual punishment for my sin. Yeah, that's the heart of it. Uh, next, we have irresistible grace or effectual calling. Uh, basically, the idea here is that God has elected a people. Christ has died for those people. The Spirit of God will certainly and effectively call them into salvation. They, they will repent and believe. They will trust in Christ. Uh, they will be given new birth. Um, God will not fail to save any of those whom he's elected, any of those for whom Christ has died, but they will all be brought to faith and repentance. Fifth, perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints, what we've just talked about. Uh, again, this is just a, a logical implication of election. Mm-hmm. Um, those whom God has elected will be saved. Uh, if you are saved, you will continue to be saved. You will be preserved by God, by his grace uh, for the inheritance, as Peter says, that is in heaven, kept by God's power, that is imperishable, undefiled, um, and is waiting for you. Yep. I'm going to steal from Devin Hiller, one of the pastors at River City Church. After we watch a lecture, listen to a class at River City Institute, this question is always the first one. What is bringing your heart to worship? So I'll ask you that, Jackson, as we've gone through the doctrines of grace and are finishing up, um, what is bringing your heart to worship through this um, study? Yeah, uh, when it comes to this question, I am always left in awe at the person of God. I am left in awe at the person of God. And when I think about uh, the way that God has acted in history, um, 
sometimes I'm, I'm just left mesmerized. Like I think of Paul at the end of Romans 11 where he says, who has known the counsel of the Lord or who has given him uh, counsel that he might be repaid? Or I think of Nebuchadnezzar's you know, conf- confession in Daniel 4. He says that there is none who can say to the Lord, what have you done? And there is none that can stay his hand. Like we just need to realize that God is so much bigger than we often conceive of him. Um, God is so much more powerful than we often conceive of him. And God has such a better plan and purpose than we often think or can realize. So when I think about these doctrines, often I am I am just left in awe at the, the character and the person of God and at his plan of salvation. Amen. Yeah. Our, our goal of going through this is that you would confess, as Paul does in Romans 11 at the very end, which Jackson just alluded to, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom. I started in verse 33, uh, Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so as we study these things, we hope and pray that they are bringing you to worship, to marvel at the salvation which can be had in in Christ Jesus and which you may have already. Um, And that's really the goal and and the biggest and most practical application of that in which all our theology and all our studies and our Bible studies uh, should lead to um, and should be the product of. And then, go ahead, do you have some? No. I was going to go through practical applications. So the second one of that is we go through these things. So the first one I just said is worship. And this isn't exhaustive, but are the main hitters uh, in which we want you to take away. But you can have assurance of your salvation. Um, And that's kind of what we just touched on the last two podcasts, is if you have been born of the Spirit— you can be assured that God will hold you fast to the end. And then a ripple effect of that is you will live a sold out life for the gospel. Um, and you can live in such a way that is not dependent on your own good works and how you might earn God's favor, but purely on his grace, which should result in living in such a way that is zealous for the glory of God uh, to be made known to all the nations. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I know it, it's just uh the these are truly are wonderful, yeah, beautiful and good doctrines when they're properly understood. <coughs> um yeah, I just and when I, when I actually yeah. think about when I actually think about like since I learned these for yeah. the first time and came to embrace them and trust them, like I don't think I often realize how much comfort and how much confidence these actually give me. Mm. Like now it's just assumed in my thinking where, where before it, it, it wasn't like if I don't assume these things in my thinking and I look out at the world, I would think that I live in a world that is chaotic. I live, well, I shouldn't say chaotic things in my life are chaotic. Yeah. Uh, I can't control them. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. In fact, even, even I look at, I look at God's word and I see so often that, that I fail to measure up, uh, to what I should be. And, and I can become discouraged by that. But yet I look at these doctrines and I know one, uh, that God is in control 
of all things, that God has purposed a sure and certain salvation of a people. Um, I can look at the work that God has done in my life. I can be assured that he is going to preserve, preserve me until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just take great comfort. Even, even just looking back short, short history of my life. Like I can look at times where I wanted certain things or where, where things just could have gone differently in my life. But I can look at the hand of God's providence over my life and where he has brought me and what, what just so much better than I could have even known to ask for. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It is so much better than I even I could have known to ask for. And it just gives me so much cause to continue to trust God and to know that first of all, he's in control. And second of all, he has got much better plans and purposes than I could think or imagine. Yeah. Amen to that. Jackson's really sitting up in his chair now. He's getting excited. And uh, yeah, this is just bringing us to worship. And so we pray that and hope that it's doing the same thing to you as you study these doctrines um, and come to know the saving work of Christ in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much going to cover it for this episode and for this series. Uh, Again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, You know, we do get a lot of encouragement and support from people that listen and that's, that's helpful. We thank you guys for that. Um, we pray that this continues to bless people and we thank you for listening. Uh, yeah, hopefully this has been as helpful to you, uh, as it has been to us in our lives. So thanks again. Um, any, gosh, f- any foretaste of what's coming next? I don't know. <laughs> we're going to have to figure out what we're doing next. <laughs> we're not sure. Uh, but tune in again. We'll have something out sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening.